I'm Stephen Dewey. We're here in uh, beautiful Washington, D.C. at the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery meeting, and I really want to thank Evolve Medical Education for inviting me to talk to you today about horizontal chop. So this is the second in a series of three videos where I'm taking you through transitioning to horizontal chop. And then the last video is going to be how do you handle those really exceptional dense cataracts. But the beauty of horizontal chop, it will handle any density nucleus. Now I'm in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm a consultant at Johnson & Johnson Surgical Vision, and I receive royalties from microsurgical technology. So the first thing, when you've got these dense nuclei, it's always good to, to kind of take a step back and realize this is a special case. This is a different case. And I think most of us do this, but you want to carefully position the patient, not only for the patient's comfort, but for your comfort as well, because this is going to be a longer procedure. You've got to also let the anesthesiologist know that you're going to have to have the patient a little more sedated for this case, because you really want them to be a little bit more still if that's possible. Obviously, tripan blue. You want to improve your chamber stability. You want to have tight incisions to begin with, but you also want to have pressurized infusions to make up for those leaky incisions you end up invariably making on these cases. But you also want to record your cases, and you, particularly if you're trying a new technique, because honestly, what you think happened isn't always what did happen, and quite honestly, sometimes the video is the only thing that will show you that. So here is a horizontal chop case, and, and this is just an average dense cataract. This is a patient who just failed her driver's test and really just wants to get, get back to driving in a hurry. So what are we going to do? We're going to try to put the least amount of power in the eye. We're going to try to be as safe to the zonules as we can be. And so we want to preserve the endothelium the best possible. We want to preserve zonules. We want a good long-term outcome. And again, we're using the Veritas vision system. And I'm using peristaltic vacuum in this case. And again, we're using the pressurized infusion system with the Veritas vision system. Now, the pressurized infusion is only present when I'm actually aspirating. So you don't have to actually worry about overpressurizing an eye just because you're irrigating. And so we see I'm using high levels of vacuum, which with remarkable chamber stability, and that's one of the beauties of this machine. And so we're delivering very low levels of power, but it's a very efficient technique. So again, with horizontal chop, you section the nucleus within the confines of the capsule without relying on the capsule to actually provide support for nuclear removal. And the followability is outstanding, and this patient was back to seeing very clearly and back to having an active driver's license in no time. Now, what are the other aspects? Uh, as, you, as you approach and engage the nucleus, the first thing, go in with your irrigation ports horizontal, and, and many times I'll look at a case and I'll see a little more edema, and I'll say, what happened? And I'll go in and I'll realize, ah, didn't quite turn those sleeves exactly horizontal. Enter the eye and foot pedal position one. And you want the needle at least bevel up or at least sideways to avoid incarcerating the, the iris in the lumen. And aspirate just a touch of viscoelastic from the surface of the nucleus to avoid uh, any thermal injury. Although with, with White Star, you really don't have that problem with the Veritas system. Then you rotate the needle, in my case, bevel down. And what you want to do is you want to take that needle, instead of having it bevel up, you want to have it bevel down so now you have occlusion established. And remember, in peristaltic vacuum, you don't get vacuum to engage until you have an occlusion. And so once you've got that beveled down, you can then apply higher levels of vacuum and then go straight into foot pedal position three, 
but without pushing down. So what you're actually trying to do is get the nucleus to rise up on the needle as opposed to taking the needle and pushing it down into the nucleus. But you go into position three to impale and you want to hold position two once you've got it impaled. Now, as you're doing a horizontal chop, as you do the impaling motion, the irrigating sleeve is going to restrict penetration if you've got any density to the nucleus at all. So this is what it looks like graphically. So in illustration number one, uh, to the left, you see that the, the higher levels of vacuum will elevate the nucleus onto the needle uh, without the need for downward pressure. But you've got to, to really go into foot pedal position three pretty much immediately. But once you're impaled, as you see in illustration number two, you want to stay in foot pedal position two with higher levels of vacuum to maintain the hold. And this is when you're gonna wrap the chopper around the edge of the nucleus to provide stability for those two instruments to come together. But don't depress either the chopper or the FACO needle because that puts too much pressure on the zonules. Now, as we're approaching and engaging, we want to gently place the tip of the chopper on the surface of the nucleus and slide it opposite of the incision. So remember, we had a trench in the last video. You don't need the trench but you just take the tip of the chopper and you run it across the surface of the nucleus until you're under the capsulotomy. And as you reach the edge of the capsulotomy, you wanna kind of flatten it a little bit so you can slide it under the capsulorexis more, more gracefully. And then you slide the tip of the chopper around to the equator and then you wanna rotate the chopper upright as it reaches the equator. But most importantly, while you're doing this, you've gotta remember, stay in foot pedal position too. So you're gonna maintain the hold on that nucleus using higher levels of vacuum. So here we are, we're going to approach and engage this, this nucleus. And so uh, I'm gonna aspirate up that bubble. We're gonna aspirate a little viscoelastic off of the surface of the lens. We're gonna retract the needle just a little closer to the incision. So you're not impaling it directly in the center. You wanna have a good firm grip. And once you've got the needle impaled, then you can wrap the chopper around the edge of the equator. So repeating that step one more time, uh, the bubble magically appears again, but we aspirate the viscoelastic just off of the surface again to avoid any potential for thermal problems, and it improves the fluidics as well. But we're gonna pull the needle back towards the incision a little bit, bevel down, we're going to impale, and now the chopper and the needle are in optimum position. So manipulating the needle, manipulating the nucleus, we wanna confirm the location of the chopper relative to the needle because obviously you don't want to be on the outside of the capsulotomy because that can be a problem trying to chop the capsule, but that's not what you don't wanna do. Um, you wanna bring the chopper, pull it towards the phaco needle, firm, gentle pressure, and again, in these denser cataracts, the nucleus may actually pop and propagate that entire chop all the way along the posterior plane of the, of the nucleus. But as the material, as you bring the two instruments to come together, move them in opposing lateral directions to chop or split the nucleus. And especially if you've got a dense cataract, you may need to place the chopper and the needle a little deeper just like in divide and conquer and repeat the spreading motion. So this is gonna be a little superficial. And if you get the crack going, you can just actually propagate those two instruments just a little more posteriorly. And then of course, rotate and repeat to segment the nucleus as you desire. You can do quadrants, you can do sextants. I, I don't think I've ever done octants, but I listed it as a choice. So the horizontal chop in, in manipulating these instruments, you wanna pull the chopper up towards the needle. So you really, you've got your chopper wrapped around, your needle's here, you wanna bring those two instruments together, hold the needle stable. And again, don't push down with the needle, don't push down with the chopper. And it's the compression between the two instruments that causes the split to be initiated. 
And after the chop is initiated, laterally separate the chopper and the needle in opposite directions. So you want to push the, the, the instruments against the vertical faces of the nucleus. And again, when you've got a trench, your, your vertical faces may not be so vertical. But when you've got a chop, you've got two vertical faces that you can actually manipulate more effectively than you can with a trenched nucleus. Now a failed chop, if the, if the cataract is so dense that you've really tried to wrap the chop around, tried to bring these two instruments together, and you realize, I'm just not successful here, well, rotate the nucleus and turn it into a trench. There's really nothing wrong with using a trench on a consistent basis. It's just that the, chopper, the chopping technique on a, a regular basis is going to reduce your phaco power and save the zonules. Um, but there's nothing wrong with taking an, a failed impaling and turning it into a trench. So here we go. We're going to do now, we've got the, the two instruments, we just bring them together. And you see that, that the, the, the split propagates and I was able to create a plane of cleavage. So I now have two hemisected, well, two halves of a hemisected nuclei, nucleus. And so now we're going to rotate and we're going to chop the, the second, the first hemineucleus, sorry. And we're going to create two separate fragments there. And again, you bring the two instruments together, but obviously I don't have to go as far back towards the incision because now that vertical plane is only halfway across the eye. And so it's a very simple thing to now visualize the, the edge of the capsular axis. And in, early in these cases, using tripan blue is a really nice suggestion because then you can still see the edge of the capsulotomy as you're trying to perform these manipulations. But now I've got this free nuclear segment and because I can't really rotate this lens any further, I'm just going to emulsify it. And this is where you see the advantages of Venturi vacuum. It has wonderful followability, but you've got really excellent hold. I mean, the, the 500 millimeters of uh, Venturi vacuum against that nuclear fragment provides an incredible mechanism of transfer for energy, so that material just basically vanishes very effectively. So we take the, the second hemineucleus, we divide it into two, and now, of course, we've got plenty of room for removal of the free quadrants, as you saw in that last little bit. So here we go. We're going to do this a different case, a little denser nucleus again. We're going to hemisect the nuclei. And again, we're going to separate them. And they're separating fairly easily. But we will get the job done. And so again, this, this technique works for any density nucleus, whether you're dealing with, again, a very soft nucleus versus the harder nucleus. And it's because you're manipulating the lens from the equator. You're really taking advantage of the anatomy of the lens and you're utilizing that to help you assist in the, the, the separation of these fragments, the segmentation of the lens. So again, wrapping the chop around the edge, bringing the two instruments together, and again, applying very high levels of venturi vacuum when you need to. Now here we're going to do a chop coming up, and I apologize, I'm having a little bit of glare against the, the monitor again. But there is a chop up here where I'm going to go ahead and do it without impaling. And that's one of the beauties of horizontal chop is once you become familiar with the technique, now obviously not your first chop. I mean, when you're doing the, the hemisection in a dense cataract, you really do want the needle impaled to provide that point of stability. But when you're dealing with the case that where you've just got the vertical face like this, you can wrap the chop around and bring the two instruments together without necessarily even impaling. Although in this case, I believe I did. Now, when you're going to emulsify 
quadrants, fragments, you want to use the, the vacuum, of course, to acquire the separated segment. And this is something people don't necessarily think about as they are using the FACO needle now as a manipulating tool. But as you approach the separated quadrants, in denser cataracts, the outer bow of the nucleus is going to be most resistant to penetration. And the inner layers will separate with the wedge effect. And you want to engage your power deliberately. So you want to gently depress the foot pedal deliberately to deliver, foot pedal, uh, to deliver power. You want to keep the chopper uh, close to the fragment to keep it at the iris plane. You don't need it bouncing up towards the endothelium. You don't need it too close to the capsule. And remember, as you're doing the, the, the chop, just like it is in divide and conquer surgery, the first three quadrants, there's very little risk to the capsule. But it's that last quadrant, as the material disappears, the, the chamber may lose its stability. Uh, and you want to move the rounded chopper behind the fragment to improve uh, the protection for the capsule. So higher levels of flow, higher levels of aspiration, provide better followability. The material comes to the needle much more efficiently. Higher levels of vacuum stabilize the fragment against the tip of the needle and actually use less power because you get less repulsion and the power you're delivering is just more effectively delivered. So this is kind of a, a graphic example of what I was trying to talk about. So as you look at the red X's, I'm approaching the, the quadrant in those cases from the outer bow. Well, that's possibly the most firm resistant portion to fake emulsification except the very densest central core. So if you can slide your, your needle, not to the middle, but the upper third, lower third, and approach it there, the wedge effect then will work very effectively to separate those lamella. And so here we have another dense cataract, and we're going to impale, and now we're gonna slide the chopper around, we're gonna bring the two instruments together, we're gonna to cleave the nucleus, and again, just a little burst of power is all it takes to impale the, the nucleus. And, and so as we rotate the lens, we're going to see uh, we're using higher levels of venturi vacuum. But again, I'm not using much power. I am applying vacuum where I need to to provide that impaling. And we're going to rotate, and now we're going to actually finally achieve the chop we set out to achieve. So again, didn't quite turn it into a trench, but again, it was that rotation that allowed me to do the, the step I needed to do to cleave the nucleus into two halves. And so as we continue to separate the, the segments, free them, we're going to see the efficiency of using Venturi vacuum with a Veritas vision system. And again, the, the beauty of the dual durometer tubing that has the much more non-compliant lumen, but has a, the outside really feels like normal tubing. You know, when I first was thinking about this tubing, I thought this was going to have a different feel to it. No, it, it's, it really feels normal, feels like normal tubing. But again, that inner layer is denser in terms of its, its resistance. It's more non-compliant is what I'm looking for, the word. Um, so it doesn't transmit vacuum forces um, within itself. It transmits them down the length of the tubing. And so once we get this material free, and now we're able to apply 500 millimeters of entry vacuum directly to the fragment, you see the fragments start to, to basically vanish very efficiently, again, with very low levels of power. And so the power utilization curve is in the lower right-hand corner, and I'm using the power as I need it. So I'm, I'm not really flooring it. I'm able to feather my vacuum. And this is where I love White Star, and so what I'm using here is variable White Star, which means I've got a logarithmic power delivery system. So at the very upper level of foot pedal position three, as I give it just a little bit of power, the pulses are shorter in duration, 
and there's more rest in between. And as I depress the foot pedal more, not only is the power delivery higher, but the bursts become sh longer and the rest periods between the bursts become shorter. And so I'm actually able to go from a very low power delivery in the very upper level of foot pedal position three to a very high level of power delivery as I depress the foot pedal even further. But I really, using 500 millimeters of entry vacuum, the power delivery is so efficient, I really don't have to depress the foot pedal all the way to give myself maximum power, except under the really densest cataracts, which, boy, how, we don't really run into those very, very frequently. And so again, we see outstanding chamber stability because of the outflow restriction. Again, it's just a wonderful technology to work with a Veritas vision system, and especially applying a horizontal chop technique. So again, the advantage of the horizontal chop, while a horizontal chop can segment even the densest lens, and it's not dependent on pupil size, and it doesn't require placing a sharp instrument in the eye, let alone near the capsule. There's this leathery posterior plate on occasion that can show up that can foil even the best chop surgeon. And so in the next video, I'm going to discuss a flip technique to access that leathery posterior plate in these dense cataracts. Thank you so very much.